If you've been told to pull up your socks recently, then make sure it's a pair of RCR socks. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash shop. Natasha Horstorf is a barrister in London and a director of UK Lawyers for Israel. She holds law degrees from Oxford and Tel Aviv universities and was a fellow in the National Security Law Program at Columbia Law School. Natasha previously worked for Skadden Arps in London and Brussels and clerked, or is that clerked, for the president of the Israeli Supreme Court, Chief Justice Miriam Nayor in Jerusalem. She speaks frequently on international law, foreign affairs and national security. And we have reached out to Natasha after seeing an interview uh, on 124 News about why the Hamas, the Hamas was committing a war crime by putting a command center inside a hospital, allegedly. Natasha Hulstorf, welcome to our radio station, Reality Check Radio, beaming in all the way from the UK, right? I am indeed, Paul. Uh, hello, it's very good to be with you. Okay, the rules of war, the rules of war. If you've been watching, like many people have, you know, the the horrible images and all of that, on both sides, it looks like, well, a mess when it comes to that. So how do we weed out who's doing what and what is transgressing those rules and laws, et cetera, et cetera? How, how do you go about that, filtering that? Sure. Well, I think a, a big part of the problem has already crept into your question, uh, which is understandable. Uh, this concept of both sides, uh, understandably fair people uh, are going to want to approach with caution, especially when there is so much misinformation, both about the facts and the law here. But this starting point of both sides, unfortunately, sits at the very heart of the difficulty uh, and of the false moral equivalence that we've been seeing uh, so many people around the world drawing since the 7th of October. You know, on the one hand, we have a genocidal prescribed terrorist organization that has committed atrocities worse even than uh, the crimes committed by ISIS that has uh, committed a genocide uh, under the definition of the Genocide Convention, uh, and that has done so reveling in the atrocities that it has committed. Uh, the war crimes that Hamas committed on the 7th of October and continues com to commit, there have been missiles targeting Israeli civilian communities within the last hour, fired uh, from uh, within civilian uh, infrastructure in the Gaza Strip. So in that respect, the missile firing constitutes a, a double war crime. Hamas continues to use human shields. And all of this is intended to frustrate Israel's legitimate uh, military objective of defeating the terror organization, which continues to pose a threat to Israeli civilian communities. Hamas leadership have indicated that they intend to commit the 7th of October atrocities again and again. The only thing preventing them from doing that is uh, the Israeli Defense Forces. And the only thing preventing the continuous missile fire into Israel from Hamas and from Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the only thing preventing that from causing widespread civilian casualties in Israel is Israel's defensive Iron Dome system. Uh, I was in Israel over the last few days uh, and heard the Iron Dome operating overhead as we had to take shelter as missiles uh, were fired onto Tel Aviv in central Israel.
So that is what one has on the one hand in terms of Hamas and its war crimes. And it's important also to recognize the crimes that Hamas are committing against its own people, the Palestinian population in the Gaza Strip, which has been under its brutal control since Hamas's violent takeover of the Gaza Strip in 2007. That is on the one hand, as I say. And on the other hand, you have a law-abiding country, abiding by international law, certainly, a law-abiding military in the Israeli Defense Forces that is charged with uh, an impossible mission, preventing uh, civilian casualties and defending its civilian population, the citizens of Israel. And these, of course, include Jews, Christians, Muslims. Uh, Many uh, Israeli Arabs were also uh, the victims of the atrocities on the 7th of October, and and they sit in in Israel under missile fire from uh, the Palestinian terrorists also. It's important to recognize that. So Israel as a law-abiding democratic state is charged with defending its civilian population against these uh, atrocious terrorist uh, attacks that are continuing. And it is charged with doing so in accordance with the law of armed conflict, and under the principle of precaution, which means preventing civilian casualties wherever possible. That principle of precaution informs the general framework of the law of armed conflict. Um, Three other key principles are included in that. They are the principle of necessity, the principle of distinction, and the principle of proportionality. Uh, And I hope to come Uh, to the point where we can discuss each of those in in more detail. But as a a general answer to your question, taking into account the actions that the IDF are taking under that legal framework, and in particular, in accordance with the principle of precaution, and that involves warning civilian communities of incoming strikes. We have to remember, of course, that that involves also warning the terrorists of where they will be striking. That is unavoidable, but Israel nonetheless sends text messages to individual householders, makes phone calls warning civilians to leave areas that are about to be targeted. It has dropped leaflets. It has provided safe civilian corridors for the evacuation of uh, Gaza's civilian community away from the areas that need to be targeted because the terrorist infrastructure is situated there. And it has done so also. Uh, The IDF, we've had videos emerging of them defending fleeing civilians uh, from Hamas attack. Because what is rarely being reported is Hamas attacking its own fleeing civilians. It desires to hold on to those human shields uh, so desperately that it has shot, uh, reports have, have indicated, Palestinians that have been seeking to flee from the fighting, shot them in the street and bombed civilian free, uh, convoys. And so the IDF, uh, it, while targeting that terrorist infrastructure, have also uh, protected those fleeing civilians in Gaza. And in that context, uh, many uh, military and legal analysts have recognized that the IDF uh, goes way above the requirements of the laws of armed conflict uh, and acts in a, uh, in a, in a way which is more moral than any other army in the history of warfare. Uh, Of course, that is undoubtedly because of the circumstances it faces uh, and the the manner in which um, Hamas are seeking to exploit civilian casualties, seeking to drive up the casualty count, uh, and that is extremely regrettable. Uh, But the fact that Israel is taking these unprecedented measures uh, really ought to be 
recognized and, and celebrated. It, it has set a standard that I think many other uh, law-abiding militaries around the world are going to struggle uh, to um, to uphold uh, when faced with similar uh, very difficult to navigate urban uh, warfare. Okay. okay, so you mentioned the warnings, the texts, the phone calls, but yet so many people have been killed. They're not getting the warnings, they're not getting out in time. How do you explain that? It's very difficult to know what the situation on the ground in Gaza is. We need to be very careful uh, about the numbers. And, and that includes be you being very careful too, if, if, if yeah, right? Well, certainly. And I'll, I'll come on to explain where it is that, that I'm I'm getting my information from. Um, but the situation on the ground in Gaza, the, the reporting uh, on the casualty figures is coming from the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health. Okay. So if we are uh, going to rely on uh, the the propaganda of the terrorist organization that has uh, its own Palestinian civilians under such uh, brutal and authoritarian control. So you don't uh, buy the figures. You're not buying the figures. There has, there has already been some independent analysis, which indicates that the figures themselves, the numbers, uh, are are incorrect. We need to be careful about those. As I say, it's incredibly difficult to make any informed assessment. But what should give us even more pause for thought is that those figures are being put out without two crucial um, pieces of, of information. One is how many combatants, how many combatants vis-a-vis -vis civilians. That is not a number that Hamas is uh, putting out at all, not least because uh, it frequently uh, pretends that its combatants are civilians. Don't forget Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, Palestinian terrorists of other um, that, that coalesce under other banners. They do not wear uniforms, um, and they hide amongst the civilian population. So the first critical missing piece of information is how many combatants. Estimates of about 40,000 Hamas combatants uh, existing within the Gaza Strip um, have, uh, have have certainly been put out by the Israeli Defense Forces and I think also confirmed by, by other uh, intelligence uh, organizations around the world. Um, if that is the case, then that is an awful lot of uh, military uh, combatant individuals that are engaging with Israeli Defense Forces and we simply don't know at this stage the numbers of those that have been killed by the IDF. The other critical missing piece of information here is how these individuals have died. Now I mentioned the missiles being fired by Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad onto Israeli civilian communities. What is missed from the equation here is the uh, number of those missiles that fall short in the Gaza Strip and kill Gazan civilians, inevitably, because uh, the civilians in Gaza are not provided shelters by Hamas. The tunnels, the 300 miles of terror tunnels that Hamas have built are for its own terrorist infrastructure. It puts its civilians on top of those tunnels. So, for example, the Al-Akhli... Well, you wouldn't uh, put them in the open, uh, would you? <laughs> uh, I mean, just for practical purposes, if you're if you're doing what they're doing, you wouldn't have it like in full display. I could, in this limited real estate, just say, I'm not justifying it, but that you would naturally. The terrorist probably, infrastructure? Yeah, you probably well, want to put it underground, you know. 
When the IDF uh, goes to um, attack these military targets and seeks to dismantle this terror infrastructure, it sends its soldiers in on the ground and it is currently going house to house in the Gaza Strip. Uh, There are over 80 soldiers that have lost their lives on the basis that Israel is seeking to prevent civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip by sending its troops in as opposed to, uh, well, it it simply can't take out this terror infrastructure from the air uh, when it is uh, so, so, so far uh, underground. But the point here is that the uh, Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad missiles that fall in the Gaza Strip, uh, as a matter of fact, kill uh, civilians in the Gaza Strip. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Those num- yeah. and, and those numbers are also not uh, specified. So, so, so there's no clarity on the numbers. So when I see 6,600 children, 4,300 women, uh, I don't think they're probably combatants, maybe some women, the injury total... You're saying that there's really no way of knowing with any sort of accuracy at all if those figures are real. No, but what we do know, and and this is where I'm basing my analysis on, is Israel's track record in previous conflicts in the Gaza Strip uh, and also uh, elsewhere. But um, critically, this has been subject to international scrutiny. uh, And that is what uh, informs my analysis of the measures that Israel is taking. Um, If you compare it to global figures, uh, those put out by the United Nations of the civilian to combatant ratio of casualties, um, of those killed, in fact, uh, in an urban warfare context, the United Nations puts that as a very disturbing nine civilians killed for every one combatant. According to the United States, across uh, the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, the numbers range from three to one to five to one. Three Three civilians to every one combatant, five civilians to every one combatant. In the last operation that Israel conducted against Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza, the uh, ratio that was reported of civilian to combatant uh, deaths was 0.6 to 1. So more combatants killed than civilians in that context. Now, this is a very different operation. The scale of it is very much uh, greater. The challenges that Israel faces are far greater given uh, the military aim of uh, destroying Hamas and the threat that it poses to the Israeli civilian community. But what that track record indicates is the approach of the IDF and the measures that Israel takes. Now, that's not just in terms of warning civilians of impending uh, strikes. Many Many uh, have vacated, uh, certainly the north of Gaza, where this operation began, when Israel uh, focused in the first instance on the terror infrastructure in the north. It has now had to uh, um, uh, move that focus uh, also to the south, and in particular Khan Yunis, uh, which is a stronghold, uh, includes terror infrastructure and and Hamas command and control centers. Um, Many civilians have vacated those areas. But Israel takes into account that not all of those civilians have been able to, mostly because they've been prevented uh, by the Hamas terrorists themselves. And it takes that into account in respect of its upholding of the other, the the three main principles of the law of armed conflict. Distinction, Israel distinguishes between civilians and combatants, and that is individuals, but also in terms of infrastructure. Uh, So you will see that it has gone uh, in on the ground in Al-Shifa, 
the uh, major hospital in Gaza City, which has been used as a Hamas command and control center since Israel has um, gone in on the ground in that hospital. Uh, and it has done so in a way uh, to navigate past the injured and the sick, the medical staff, uh, and target specifically the terrorists that have been operating uh, from under that civilian cover. Uh, when it has done so, uh, it has revealed the evidence, uh, which we all knew. In fact, in, even in 2014, the BBC was reporting uh, that uh, Hamas were using al-Shifa as a command and control centre. So none of this is new. But the evidence that has come out subsequently is what is that evidence? Because I saw a, you know, I've only seen one person talking, but he seemed quite credible. Doctor had been working there for some time. Um, he said he had free access, roamed, roamed the corridors and halls, didn't see anyone, didn't see any activity that was suspicious to him that could indicate a command centre. He said that uh, snipers were shooting at nurses through the windows. Um, is there adequate intel or is that like we think they're there, let's go on a fishing expedition and hopefully we'll find something. I mean, how good is the intel? Okay. So as I indicated, this is this has not been a secret. Already uh, nearly 10 years ago, the BBC were acknowledging uh, that Hamas used al-Shifa as their command centre because they didn't hide it. Whenever the international media was interviewing Hamas leadership at the time, they did so in the reception of the hospital because the leaders would come up from their tunnels under the hospital, speak to the international press, and then go back into uh, their terror infrastructure. But what we have seen- You keep using that word terror all yeah. the time. Um, okay, and I get why you're using it, but maybe they, I mean, they're the kind of, I mean, there's the IDF terror. I mean, who's terror here? Because if you're bombing people and well, firing at people, uh, you're using me, that, no. that, that word a lot, but I mean- what do they say? One person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. Um, well, we come back to the moral equivalence that I raised at the very start of this interview, uh, which is not only desperately misleading and has been the cause of so much misinformation in the coverage of this conflict, but it is utterly morally repugnant. The Israeli Defense Forces, and the clue here is in the name, Defense Force. Yes, but uh, um, a lot of civilians are cycled through that Defense Force because of compulsory military service. What is what is the well, level, ultimately, of professionalism of that force because civilians cycling through can take in all those prejudices and all those kind of, you know, that baggage, right, to then being having a weapon. Sorry. Uh, the important thing here is that the IDF is a civilian army uh, and the um, standards of uh, the, the, the citizenry are reflected in uh, how the IDF operates, the code of arms, the code of ethics that the IDF uh, focuses on in the basic training at the very start of every soldier's training is integral to how it is uh, conducting its armed conflict here and, and in, in previous um, operations. And that has been the subject of careful analysis, in particular by the high-level military group. Their reports are available online. They involve military uh, 
uh, experts, uh, generals, colonels from around the world who have analyzed uh, Israel's conduct in previous missions. And the fact that Israel's army is made up of its citizenry is critical. These are ordinary people who have now over 300,000 who have been called away from their ordinary lives, their families, in order to defend against this heinous terror. So the language that we use is critical. Hamas is a prescribed terrorist organization. The tactics that they use are those of terrorists. And anyone who calls them freedom fighters has a great deal to answer for, not least on a factual uh, basis, because they are uh, clearly, their stated aims are fighting uh, to commit a genocide against the Jewish people, to eradicate Israel off of the earth. They're not fighting for freedom here. Hamas has had control of the Gaza Strip uh, since the elections in 2006 and since its violent takeover of the Gaza Strip in 2007, when it threw its Fatah opposition members off of the roofs of buildings. They have an autonomy. They have self-governance. We also have the Palestinian Authority with self-governance in the West Bank, uh, an autonomy there. So there is uh, one clear aim that Hamas is fighting for, that is the eradication of the state of Israel. And we need to be very clear that in that respect, they are also being supported by the Palestinian Authority, the so-called moderates in this equation, who pay the salaries of these terrorists. Ali Qadi, who was the commander of the Nukhbas force that uh, planned the attacks of the 7th of October over two years. He was released in the 2011 Gil Gilad Shalit deal. He has been paid a salary by the Palestinian Authority under a system which is enshrined in Palestinian law. Uh, the entire time he's been planning these attacks. Those Palestinian uh, terrorists who were released in the exchange for hostages for Israeli women and children that were violently and brutally abducted on the 7th of October, they are also being paid salaries by the Palestinian Authority. So we really need to be clear about the facts uh, of, uh, of, of and the dynamics and very careful about throwing around uh, extremely misleading and, and, and I would say also dangerous uh, language because it underpins so much of the misrepresentation here. Um, I was coming on to uh, talking about uh, the additional measures that Israel takes to prevent civilian casualties and in addition, of course, to those warnings and going in house to house, we also have uh, very targeted precision strikes. Uh, so again, in complete contrast to the way that Hamas uh, indiscriminately fires missiles onto Israeli civilian communities, um, the the targeting, uh, the techniques such as knock on roof that Israel has developed uh, also to provide a final warning to a building that is about to be Sorry, hit. Sorry, can you explain what that is just quickly? Yeah. Knock on uh, roof. So Knock on roof uh, is a a, a non-explosive uh, munition that uh, lands on a roof and, and okay. sends sends a big noise, uh, which right. is a final warning for any civilians that still remain within that building uh, to evacuate. That is actually why you have uh, so many examples of videos in the Gaza Strip uh, of buildings being uh, uh, attacked from the air because Hamas have a warning of where 
the strike is going to happen. They set up a camera uh, and they catch that strike in real time. So uh, the methods and the uh, practices of the IDF uh, in very many respects help, unfortunately, uh, the terrorists on the ground. But the key aim behind Israel adopting these approaches is to prevent civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip. The, the IDF has better weapons, though, right? Better yeah, technology I should, weapons. I should and, hope and, so. Yeah, but um, because more precision. That, it, it, that's, yes. a, that's potentially a mismatch. I'm just, you know, trying to think of who's got what. And um, right, you know, let me just be clear: if that you don't idea- have that high tech, you can't kind of deploy those things that you're talking about back the other way. You you have to probably be a lot more crude, I would imagine. Well, let's be clear that the IDF has developed specifically the kind of precision targeted uh, munitions in order to prevent civilian casualties. Sometimes we've seen a single floor or a room uh, of a residential building being taken out, which has been identified as a a terrorist uh, element of the infrastructure, uh, and the rest of a residential building being left intact. So what the deployment uh, of that targeted precision uh, munitions uh, tells us is Israel's intention, which is to prevent civilian casualties. And the critical issue here, and it's also consistent with how one applies the law of armed conflict, you do not make an assessment on an effects-based analysis. You do that on a basis of what uh, an individual belligerent's intention is. Israel's intention here is clear. Uh, to defeat Hamas and prevent civilian casualties. The flip side of that is Hamas's intention is to kill as many Jews as possible. So one needs to look at what they're saying. The fact that they're using crude munitions in order to do so uh, is unfortunately irrelevant to the purpose that they are seeking to achieve. If they had better arms, then they would be able to uh, inflict far more casualties in terms of their missiles onto Israeli civilians. But critically also, they have said they wish to conduct the atrocities of the 7th of October over and over again. And you do not need sophisticated weaponry to rape, gang rape, mutilate, to um, uh, commit the sort of sexual violence that Hamas uh, did, and other Palestinian terrorist organizations also. Uh, Those that crossed the border, 3,000 terrorists that crossed into Israeli civilian communities on the 7th of October, included Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the PFLP, and by all accounts, many ordinary Palestinian Gazan civilians that crossed the border uh, and committed atrocities also, burning babies, beheading children. No, I'm familiar with that. Um, can I ask you this? How come that was able to happen in the first place? This is a question a lot of people are asking, and I wasn't intending on asking that, but now that you've mentioned it, with all the slick stuff, the AI, the tech, the observation, all that, you would expect that that would have, you know, on paragliders, motorized paragliders doing 30 miles an hour, you would have seen that a mile off. What happened there? There are serious questions that are going to have to be answered once Israel has defeated the the, the terrorist threat that Hamas is posing. Uh, and the government has been clear that once this war is over, uh, there will be a full inquiry into how this has happened. Uh, I think it's evident to all of us that there was an element of complacency, uh, an element also of belief that Israel had, that Hamas was an entity that could be reasoned with, that Hamas was an entity that might 
uh, ultimately be convinced to look after its civilian population and engage in economic uh, cooperation with Israel. And those that lived in the communities in the south of Gaza were at the forefront of driving that cooperation. One of the reasons that this has plainly uh, happened on the 7th of October and the way it was planned was as a result of Israeli security concessions. Between January and August this year, there were 400,000 entrances from Gaza into Israel, mostly with work permits. These were Gazans coming into the Israeli communities in the south of Israel and working, earning far more than they were able to do in, in the Gaza Strip because of the way that Hamas has ruined uh, the economy uh, in that area. And they used the opportunity to engage with Israelis in the south of Israel in order to plan this attack. The manuals uh, that were found um, on the persons of, of these Hamas terrorists included detailed information, house by house, about families, the number of children present, uh, whether there was a dog in the house, whether there was a gun, and uh, in detailed instructions of what individual terrorists were instructed to do to each family. Uh, and the horrific torture, mutilation of children in front of their families and vice versa, um, parents in front of their children. I, I know it's a shocker. I mean, no one's was, arguing was that. Right. But yeah, yeah. but you asked how how could this have happened? Yeah, it was uh, it, it was facilitated, unfortunately, uh, by Israel engaging in a in a tr exercise of trust, of cooperation, uh, an attempt to create a peaceful coexistence with a genocidal terrorist regime which is um, sworn to Israel's destruction. And uh, unfortunately, desperately unfortunately, many, many Israelis living in the south of Israel have learnt the hard way, desperately hard way, uh, that uh, their hopes and dreams uh, for a peaceful existence with those living in the Gaza Strip uh, have cost them. Uh, unfortunately, their efforts, many of those uh, who have been uh, kidnapped also as hostages by Hamas, uh, were driving Palestinians uh, from Gaza to, to hospital treatment um, and were seeking to uh, invest <clears throat> in civilian uh, initiatives in the Gaza Strip, uh, in water projects. Uh, Hamas has consistently used international humanitarian aid and the initiatives uh, driven in many respects by those living in, in those communities in the south of Israel, Hamas has exploited them and used it to uh, facilitate the expansion of its terrorist infrastructure. One well, Just a couple more questions. Um, I was watching a BBC interview, you were on there, and the question of proportionality was being discussed, it was up for discussion. And I think you said Proportionality here has nothing to do with the relative number of people killed on both sides. But it sort of does, doesn't it? It certainly doesn't, um, as so far as international law is concerned. Yeah. Uh, this is okay. a, gr okay. a grotesque misrepresentation. Um, proportionality in the law of armed conflict requires that each strike is uh, weighed up so that the military advantage sought uh, is not disproportionate to the anticipated civilian collateral damage. That is, of course, based on an, an intention test, not an effects-based analysis, as I indicated earlier. Um, but that is the test under international law. Uh, and that is not to do with comparing casualty figures. We already talked about how we cannot trust the casualty figures coming out of the Gaza Strip. Yeah, but what we can say but, is that, that the physical... Um, reality of the two different grounds, let's say. You've got Gaza, you've got Israel. I mean, it's 
it's a very compressed, dense area. Anything you're going to do there is is going to have a particular effect, whether you like it or not. And whether it's legal under international law, there is going to be a, a multiplier effect because of the environment you're in, right? So that well, we, will affect we proportionality. We do need to just break down what it is that you're saying, because if, if we're talking about proportionality in a legal context, and, and for the most part, it is deployed as an allegation that Israel is breaking international law, that is flat, flatly. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just of course. But dealing when we with consider, the actual, you know. Of course. When we consider the, the, the notion of proportionality and the way that it is so frequently deployed in this discussion, which is a, a comparison of casualty figures, acknowledging, of course, that this is wrong from a legal perspective, but looking at it from a factual perspective, uh, what unfortunately that analysis does is it encourages Hamas's use of human shields because it tells that terror organization, uh, if you uh, can present to the world that there are high casualty figures coming out of Gaza, which are attributable uh, to Israeli action and which are civilian, both of, of which, of course, we, we cannot know from the figures that are being put out. But if you can present that to the international community, pressure on Israel will increase. That is the consistent message being sent to the terrorists, and that encourages their war crimes, their abuse of their own civilian community. And it also does another very dangerous thing. It provides them with immunity. And that is not just dangerous for Israel to say that Israel cannot target terrorists that are sworn to its destruction and they're committing atrocities against Israeli civilians, cannot target them because they are hiding behind a civilian population. That also has repercussions for every other law-abiding uh, state and its fight in future when it is faced with similar terror organizations. When the coalition against ISIS was fighting them in Mosul, these arguments were not deployed. It was never suggested that ISIS had immunity because they hid behind civilian communities and they embedded themselves in civilian infrastructure. That double standard that is now being deployed against the only Jewish state will have repercussions for how other law-abiding armies are able to defend their citizens in future. And we need to be extremely careful about propagating this sort of false analysis um, based on false figures and based on a, a falsification of Israel's efforts and Israel's initiative to prevent civilian casualties, both in Israel, as any uh, responsible government is required to do to defend its own citizenry, but also to go above and beyond in this case and defend the citizens of Gaza against those uh, terrorist organizations that seek to exploit them, that shoot them in the street, uh, and that use them as, as human shields to continue their genocidal uh, initiative against uh, the only Jewish state. Law-abiding or not, is this winnable? Israel doesn't have a choice. Uh, not only uh, is it going to defeat Hamas and ensure that it can never commit the atrocities of the 7th of October again, it is also critical uh, because the rest of the Arab world is watching Israel. And the rest of the Arab world uh, is poised uh, to see how Israel deals with this threat. I mentioned that I had been in Israel over the last few days, and I have seen with my own eyes the resolve, the resilience the manner in which uh, when that ceasefire was broken, I just landed in Israel on Friday morning, 
when Hamas broke the ceasefire, after it broke uh, the arrangements and, and its word on the release of women hostages. And the reasons for that, we can only imagine that it will not release women who have been brutalized uh, and raped in uh, Hamas captivity in the Gaza Strip. There is no other reason uh, for them to refuse to release the women hostages uh, as they had agreed as part of uh, the um, uh, the uh, humanitarian pause and, and the ceasefire that uh, had been in place. But after they broke that agreement, they also fired onto Israeli uh, civilian communities. And I, I, I was in Israel over the period in, in which uh, the, the fighting resumed, and I saw the spirit uh, both in terms of the the army, but also the civilian population that is uh, supporting them, uh, that is uh, cooking for them, uh, that is providing them with uh, with everything that they need, and and supporting families at home, those of the hostages, uh, those of the victims, uh, and there has never been a more unified Israel. Uh, there has never been an Israel, I think, that is more determined to ensure that never again means never again, and that uh, the rest of the Arab world recognizes that it is uh, ready, willing, and able to defend itself against any threat. We haven't talked yet about the northern border, but of course Hezbollah uh, has already been attacking Israel and, and Israel has had to evacuate its civilian communities from the south and the north away from the borders that it shares with these terrorist organizations. Uh, and so Israel's actions are being viewed very closely and it is extremely important uh, that it has the state of Israel has the support uh, of its allies around the world in dealing with these genocidal terrorist threats, most importantly because it is not just Israel that is threatened by this. Israel is the bulwark against um, Islamist fundamentalist extremism, uh, and it is fighting this fight on behalf of uh, liberal democracies around the world. Uh, and that is something that its allies need to recognize and uh, need to support Israel in this fight as a result. You mentioned um, Islam there. Uh, is this a, a religious conflict primarily, really, in the end? Well, I think it's important to recognize is that, that scary? It, <laughs> it, um, it, it's not a territorial conflict. Uh, plainly, uh, because um, you know all of this uh, rhetoric that we hear uh, about occupation, um, which which is not based again in, in uh, a legal analysis, uh, but a, a, a rhetorical one. These are political terms that are being deployed, um, but it's significant, of course, that that what we hear in terms of the protests on our streets uh, and the uh, commitment of uh, Palestinian terrorist organizations to eradicate Israel, this, this goes back 75 years. This is not about territorial control. I mentioned that Hamas and the Palestinian Authority have autonomies. This is about eradicating the state of Israel. Yeah, but all the resources are controlled, though. Sorry to jump in, Natasha, but hmm. power food, access to food, everything is controlled. Well, that's not accurate because Hamas has been able over the last 16 years to build terror infrastructure, uh, an enclave uh, in uh, Gaza, uh, and it has plainly been able to arm itself to the teeth. The um, the, the evidence that we had also coming out of Al-Shifa and the tunnels, the, the, the piles of ammunition, uh, the um, rockets, thousands of them uh, that have been continuously fired into Israel. Uh, those have obviously been brought in. Um, Who supplies uh, them? Well, it's it's an open 
secret that it is Iran that arms and funds Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, and uh, doubtless uh, in the wake of, of, of this war, we will find uh, there are others who support them also. Qatar uh, is a key funder of Hamas. Uh, they also host uh, the Hamas leadership yep. in Doha. Uh, so there are big questions for the international community to answer also, international organizations that provide uh, supposed humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip, which is also being diverted by these terrorist organizations uh, and deployed. We've seen water pipes dug up in order to uh, manufacture rockets. Uh, there is no uh, part of what is provided into Gaza uh, that cannot be diverted to Hamas because they control that area absolutely. And they uh, they certainly have uh, support, funding, technology, intelligence uh, from the likes of, of Iran. Uh, they are a terror proxy of the Iranian state. Uh, and that, of course, means that from a geopolitical perspective. We need to be alive to uh, the, the the forces at play here, the funding, uh, how it goes through the international financial system. And there are big questions uh, for the UK government, for the New Zealand government uh, to address. Um, I do hope that the current situation will give uh, international leadership pause for thought. Uh, New Zealand itself, uh, in uh, with respect to the recent changes, I, I hope will be alive uh, to previous mistakes, uh, in particular uh, the divestment a few years ago by the super uh, super fund mm. the uh which has come under significant criticism for being unlawful in respect of the divestment decisions that were taken contrary uh, to the requirements of of um investing in a in a in a sensible financial uh manner um so much of that undoubtedly has been the result of uh, misinformation uh, about Israel and about the ongoing Israeli Arab conflict uh, and i do hope that the reality that we have seen unfolding over the past two months will give pause for thought. Uh, people will step back, will recognise where the threats both to liberal democracies around the world and, and to Israel come from, and will do their utmost to comply. Well, liberal with democracies around the world, is yeah, we're talking about that. Um, I don't know how liberal we are anymore, actually, after the last three years. I'm not feeling well, too liberal, not as much as I used to feel, i got to say. If, if, if we leave liberal out of the equation and we say UN member states, uh, okay. because they, they all they all have an obligation under uh, UN Security Council Resolution 1373 uh, to um, uh, combat terrorism to, and to ensure that terrorist organizations are not being funded directly or indirectly. I, I want to ask I, you one thing because you mentioned it and yeah. it's, it's a curiosity for me because I'm – I don't go, I mean, I've been out on the street for things before, but not this. Uh, though I'm trying to work out why there is, where you talk about mis and disinformation, where does the support for, that we see in the streets of Western countries, in quite some numbers actually, for the Palestinian cause side, where, how do they get those numbers? I think looking at the makeup um, of those protests that we've witnessed, and I, I speak now specifically about London because that, that's right. where I I've seen coverage of attention. that, so I'm familiar with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, th there's a mixture. Uh, unfortunately, uh, straight after the 7th of uh, October atrocities, we saw people celebrating 
on the streets of London uh, before there had been any Israeli response. We then immediately saw... Like uh, a knee-jerk reaction, Natasha, is what you're saying. It's like a a knee-jerk out on the street, like within the day. uh, On the same day. On the same day. So a knee-jerk reaction, ready to go. I'm not sure, sure if one can describe it as knee-jerk, but it, it was certainly celebratory, dancing in the streets, yeah. handing out sweets. But, but so course, immediate, same, so immediate, you know, the same so, day. So immediate, yes. Um, knee-jerk suggests it's in um, counter to something, it's in response to something. This this was celebratory, in the same way that we saw celebrations in the Palestinian Authority-controlled uh, areas uh, A, B of the, of, the, of the West Bank. We also saw those celebrations on the streets of London. But they, that initial uh, response has, of course, developed undoubtedly as a result of so much of the misinformation uh, that we've even seen here, the the state broadcaster, the BBC, uh, has come under relentless criticism now for its uh, false reporting of so much of what has been happening uh, in Israel. And Is Is that the woke part of the BBC showing itself? I'm not sure that we can simply attribute it uh, to um, a, a, a position in terms of you know what is uh, currently described as woke or, or, or it covers a lot of things. Political, it does, but or, or political positioning. This is not a left or a right issue. Hmm. This is ultimately most. Uh, the, the best way of probably analysing it is in the context of, you know, the evolution of anti-Semitism. Uh, hmm. The former uh, chief rabbi of the United Kingdom uh, provided extremely insightful analysis that the late great uh, Lord Jonathan Sachs, um, he described the evolution of anti-Semitism as a mutating virus. You know, what began in the Middle Ages with a focus on Jews as a religion and the ancient blood libels, uh, which accused Jews of killing Christian children to use their blood in, in religious rituals, entirely false, of course, but very widely believed. That was the manifestation of of anti-Semitism at that time. And then, you know, as we moved through where science took over from religion, the hatred of the Jews mutated to focus on their race. And the Nazis used the pseudoscience of eugenics to justify that hatred. Well, Lord Sachs indicated that uh, we'd moved away in the modern world, even from science and, and the current order of the day he saw as international law and human rights. And so the hatred of the Jews manifested itself as a hatred of the Jewish state. And uh, international law itself is being abused and misrepresented to justify that hatred. So these are the modern blood libels. Uh, They are as wrong as the ancient ones, but they are also as pervasive. And undoubtedly, uh, those protests that we continue to see comprise individuals that are committed to the destruction of the Jewish state and support Hamas. But they also include many individuals who've been deeply, deeply misled and who have embraced these modern blood libels because they have been so relentlessly subject to this propaganda um, by, uh, unfortunately, res- otherwise responsible uh, international media outlets. And, and broadcast media, again, has a great deal to answer for here. There needs to be a wholesale review uh, of how this conflict has been covered. There needs to be uh, a, 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 a real sense of education um, of the journalists who are covering this and an analysis of, of how this has gone so badly wrong because the effects of this, as we can see uh, on our streets, are palpable and it has only been getting worse. And it's so important, that's why I'm actually extremely grateful that you've taken the time to speak with me today because it's so important uh, that we use opportunities like this to get uh, the facts straight 
and to counter this misinformation uh, and to do so uh, robustly uh, and um, without hesitation. Okay. Um, it's been fantastic having the opportunity to chat with you. Really interesting to hear what you've been saying. Um, last, well, I don't know if it's a question or, or comment or whatever, you, you'll you'll decide. But so Israel goes all the way here. Is that really what you're saying? All the way. There's no stopping. This Hamas will be gone no matter what, even if what the place is leveled. I don't know. Uh, you, they're going all the way. But it's critical to recognize that the place isn't being leveled. That That is why Israel is going in on the ground. Um, the, the easiest thing in the world would be... Well, if it would come to that, that wouldn't stop, right? Because this is a mission to, to, to have a final outcome. Um, well, the mission uh, is twofold. Um, the Israeli government has stated from the outset that the mission is to uh, destroy Hamas uh, and remove them from, from control of the Gaza Strip so that they cannot continue to use it as a terror launch pad, and also to release the hostages. Um, I mentioned earlier that Hamas has refused uh, to continue releasing hostages as, as per the agreement that was brokered by uh, by Qatar and others. Um, and so the mission that Israel is on at this juncture is also to secure the release, that it, that is a priority of the government to bring its people home. Um, and that un unfortunately uh, can only be achieved by putting Hamas uh, under the military pressure that we are, are currently seeing. But that terror infrastructure has to be dismantled, absolutely. What comes next is a big question. Um, and there are many in Israel that are already putting forward plans. Uh, chief uh, amongst them is the denazification of uh, the Gaza Strip. That one we've heard that well, and, 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 and much of that is based on the plans that were drawn up by the uh, Allies uh, after the defeat of Nazi Germany, mm. uh, in conjunction, of course, with the Marshall Plan and the rebuilding. Um, so that that is all being taken into consideration. But when one considers that it is the result of 30 years of indoctrination uh, in UNRWA schools, UN-run schools, three out of four of the terrorists that crossed the border, uh, according to the numbers of, of those educated within the UNRWA system, were educated in UNRWA schools. And they are uh, from kindergarten up being taught that the highest calling in life is to slaughter Jews. They, they are taught that martyrdom is to be exalted. And um, that unfortunately, Unfortunately, is what causes 3,000 people to cross the border on the 7th of October and commit those atrocities and to commit also to conducting themselves in that fashion over and over again, given the opportunity. Education here is at the key uh, of where we have got to, uh, what has caused this, this level of indoctrination and brainwashing. And it is also the key uh, to ensuring that there can be a future in which uh, Israelis and, and Palestinians can uh, coexist in a peaceful context. You think that's possible? Only if we are prepared, and the international community has to get on board with this, of uh, dealing with the brainwashing and the indoctrination. No matter how much you try from Israel's perspective to make security concessions, to hand over territory uh, to the Palestinians, to provide financial and humanitarian support to them, if Palestinian children are being indoctrinated uh, from the cradle to... Uh, 
kill as many Jews as possible, then the, the humanitarian handouts aren't going to change their minds on that. That has to be addressed by the international community. And the international community has to recognize its responsibility, both for supporting that indoctrination system and also the, the terror reward system, the pay for slay program. I mentioned earlier that terror salaries are being paid by the Palestinian Authority. That has to stop because at the moment, uh, any ordinary Palestinian is able to earn far more on a monthly basis from committing atrocities against Jews than they are from any um, uh, honest day's work in Palestinian-controlled territory. Boy, that's a hard one to unbundle that particular part of it because then you've just got, you know, lines of new, you know, ready-to-go kids feeding in there. So... Wow. And the lo the longer the longer that we we as a, an international community push off uh, and refuse to deal with that conundrum and that problem, uh, th the more hatred is That's being. That's the biggest up. problem, isn't it? In the end, education. Absolutely. That that because um, that could that that's where it festers and continues. You've got to circuit break that. That's the big problem. And in a nutshell, where, where you sow hatred, you reap war. This is uh, ultimately the cause of what we have seen. Uh, and until that root cause is tackled, um, th th this this desperate, uh, woeful, tragic situation will continue. Natasha Hausdorff, thank you so much for coming on our radio station and telling us what you did, okay? Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now, they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.